Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks for finding us on your podcast platform, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcast from. Welcome to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Before we get to our guests, Matt Zemek and TJ Reeves, I want to give a little plug to our podcast sponsors. First, Titan Home Lending. If you are anywhere in the state of Florida and you are looking to purchase, refinance, do a renovation on your home, let Titan Home Lending be your exclusive mortgage lender. We work with people all throughout the state of Florida, VA loans, FHA, conventional loans. We have great programs in place to help you. We we work with first responders, military, teachers, coaches, and all in between. So we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you to find you a great loan. Interest rates are at an all-time low, so take advantage and let's put some money back in your pocket, whether you're purchasing, refinancing, or doing a renovation loan. Titan Home Lending. Reach out to us at area code 205-790-1404, as well as Ultimate Health Plans. Reach out to Patrick Highland anywhere in the state of Florida. If you have any Medicare needs, benefit information that you need updates on, Patrick can help out on all things Medicare. Patrick is based in Tampa, but he can help anybody in the Bay Area and anywhere in the state of Florida as well. Ultimate Health Plans, area code 813-966-1052. And now to the podcast with our guests, Matt Zemek and TJ Reeves. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Powers on Sports Podcast. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm Jason Powers. I'm your host down here in Tampa, Florida. Remember, you can find us on your different podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora. Tell your friends about us as we head into 2021. This is our third year of doing the podcast, so we need as many listeners as we can get, and we appreciate your support and listening. Tonight on the episode this week, we're going to talk with Matt Zemek. Matt is a college football writer out on the West Coast, out in Phoenix. He covers the USC football and many things, college football around the country. Matt also covers the NFL. We're going to talk some NFL with Matt. We're going to talk some college football playoffs. We're going to talk Steve Sarkeesian going to Texas and other things as well. Later in the episode, we're going to have TJ Reeves on the sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to hit wild card weekend heavy. We're going to get his insight on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and such. But first off, let's welcome Matt Zemek to the back to the podcast, your second appearance. Happy New Year, Matt. Appreciate you coming on. Happy New Year to you, Jason. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. Great, great. Uh, 
again, as, as we're taping this uh, on, on Tuesday night, the Heisman Trophy presentation is getting ready to start. Give me your quick thought on who, who would you vote for if you had a vote for the Heisman? I would take Devontae Smith of Alabama, and the chief reason being that, you know, Mac Jones, he saw it against Notre Dame. He just has to drop back and throw a five-yard pass, and Devontae Smith can turn it into a 30-yard gain, and he's also making downfield blocks. Uh, he's a great teammate, and the other thing that really seals it for me is that you have this Alabama juggernaut, you know, mostly because of the offensive line, if we're being honest. It's an elite offensive line that enables everything to happen, but – Jalen Waddle goes down and they don't miss a beat. And that is Devontae Smith more than Mac Jones. I mean, Mac Jones certainly deserves to be a Heisman finalist, but Devontae Smith is the straw that stirs the drink. He is the best player in college football for 2020. The weird thing was coming into the season, everybody thought Jalen Waddle was going to be the guy for the Heisman, the, the all purpose guy, the kick returner receiver. And he goes down in the Tennessee game on a fluke kickoff return and all of a sudden, Devontae Smith, who was always a really good player for them, really blossoms into the elite, elite, elite player. And he would be the first wide receiver since all the way back to Desmond Howard to win the award if he does. It'll be interesting to see on the vote count if Mac Jones and maybe Najee Harris take some of his votes away, if they split some of the vote. You know, I don't think Kyle Trask, is, he'll be, he, he's deserving to be invited, but He's not a contender. I think it comes down to Mac Jones or Devontae Smith. It'll be interesting what the, what the slicing of the votes turns out to be throughout the country. And, and it's, you know, it's just going to be interesting that we're, ha we're awarding the Heisman in January after the bowl games. Yep. That's, that's a little plot twist because oftentimes we'll, we'll look at the bowl games and we'll say, oh, they got the Heisman wrong. Right. Uh, that's that's a little interesting little twist relative to Trevor Lawrence, who did not have his finest night in the Sugar Bowl. So that that'll be an interesting plot point. Well, let's get right to it. Let's get let's go to Trevor Lawrence in, in Ohio State. You know, I, most people thought Clemson was the clear favorite. People thought Ohio State could win the game, but most people thought Clemson was going to win. Nobody thought Clemson would get beat by three touchdowns. What were your thoughts, reactions to the game, how it unfolded out in Phoenix for you? Yeah, so I mean, Ohio State certainly has the high-end talent to be able to win, uh, and so it was so an upset was certainly possible. But we hadn't seen that version of Ohio State all season long. Uh, you know, crushed Michigan State, but Michigan State's a bad team. I mean, Ohio State had not done that against a good opponent all season, and, and it seems that the, the disruptions in Ohio State's schedule due to COVID-19, prevented the Buckeyes from getting a rhythm. So just without that rhythm, and, and whereas Clemson, on the other hand, looked, looked totally ready for the playoff when it beat crushed Notre Dame in the ACC championship game, uh, you know, it just seemed that Clemson had a much higher level of preparedness for that semifinal. But we saw the best version of Ohio State. I mean, that's that's the main observation to make on the game. And the other main observation is, you know, Dabo Swinney, I don't really care what he says. You know, he's trying to motivate his team. It's a very familiar thing he does where he says something incendiary to put the focus on him so that the, the pressure is off his players. That's just coaching tactics, motivation. I don't get too worked up about the things he says, but if you are going to say, as Dabo did before the game and the weeks leading up to the game, Trevor Lawrence might be the best quarterback ever 
in college football. He said that. He came out right up there, right up front with it. If you're going to state your quarterback might be the best ever in college football, you should be going for it on fourth and three from your own 40-yard line. What is up with that? If, if, you're, if your guy is the best, you trust him to make plays, and you realize that if Justin Fields is piling up the points on the other side, you better be trusting Trevor Lawrence to get three yards. So what was up with that? Why did Dabo coach such a scared game? I mean, Dabo does not usually coach scared, but he coached scared in this game. And it makes you wonder if Tony Elliott being absent from the Superdome due to COVID-19, if that had an outsized level of importance and an outsized level of impact on how much Dabo trusted himself with the Clemson offensive game plan, and not to mention how much he trusted Trevor Lawrence. So those are some very interesting questions to take away from this game. It's not going to influence how uh, Clemson does in the regular season next year, but if Clemson gets back to a semifinal against, say, Ohio State or another or Alabama um, or, you know, an SEC champion, you know, that the, the memory of this game, what happened in the Sugar Bowl, that's going to hover over that semifinal and Clemson's going to have to uh, answer that next year. So that, that's going to be a very interesting plot point. Yeah, I, I was the, the the play that really baffled me was first play of the fourth quarter. They're down three touchdowns. It's fourth and one on like the twenty-eight, and he punts. I couldn't believe why he would punt down down three scores, fourth and one on your own thirty-yard line. I mean, yeah, there may not be three more possessions left in the game, much less you scoring three times and holding Ohio State to nothing. So I'm with you. I didn't think he caught. I don't think he managed the game very well. Clemson had a lot of issues lining up on defense. There were multiple plays in that game where guys were running across the formation and couldn't get lined up. And that was the other part of the game that I didn't understand why they were so, you know, off kilter with. And, and really the Clemson offensive line got exposed a little bit. They had the inability to run the ball. They couldn't get Etienne going and they didn't protect Lawrence very well either. So I think that offensive line for Clemson really got exposed. It absolutely did. And, and, you know, there's no question that Ohio state, after Dabo voted him 11th in the poll that Ohio State, you know, had the chip on the shoulder and Clemson, you know, having won last year's semifinal against Ohio State just didn't come at the game from a natural position of hunger and desperation. Right. Clemson was desperate last year and, you know, Clemson did get punched in the mouth in last season's semifinal, but was able to fight back. But, but in this game, you didn't see that fight from Clemson and, and, and Ohio State was just able to get on get into a snowball and it just magnified as the game went along. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's move to the Alabama-Notre Dame game. Kind of a ho-hum game. I think Alabama was in control most of the game. You know, I don't think there was ever any serious doubt about who was going to win the game. Your thoughts on Notre Dame. I've told people all week this week, I think the one thing, you know, all the questions to Brian Kelly after the game, what, what do you need to get over the top to beat an Ohio State, to beat a Clemson, Alabama? I think they're missing that elite quarterback, the Deshaun Watson kind of guy at quarterback. They've really never had that kind of guy. Ian Book's a good player, but he's not elite. He's not an elite athlete. I think until Notre Dame can get that elite athlete at quarterback, the dual run threat option, they're going to have a tough time matching up with the, Ohio, you know, with the Clemsons, the Alabamas of the world. Uh, I think that's very true. I think the other piece, Jason, is that Notre Dame doesn't have Devontae Smith. You know, there was no speed burner who really changes the equation for Notre Dame down the field. And, and you know, you followed SEC football for plenty of years, as have I. 
And the main way to attack an Alabama defense, it really hasn't changed that much. Not when Kirby Smart was defensive coordinator, and it's, and it's not really different now. you got to throw the ball down the field. And, you know, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts with Florida put 46 points on them. Right. And it's because that's a, that's a vertical, pass-oriented offense, taking shots, uh, not running the ball too much. You know, Florida's not a good running team, but against an Alabama defense, run plays are generally wasted plays you can't think about uh football in a 1985 pat die context of controlling the clock field position kicking game you got to score and that means throwing going downfield you're you're not going to do the 12 play seven minute drive against alabama you're not going to beat nick saban that way you need to score 40 points think about uh deshaun watson and clemson uh, you know, against Jake Coker in the 2015 title game. Didn't win, but almost did it. And then came back the next year against Jalen Hurts and yep. got it done in a, in a you know, high-scoring game. That's what you need to do against Alabama. You need to hit shots downfield. Notre Dame never made any serious attempt to throw the ball downfield. So you're right. They need the, the elite quarterback. But they also need the speed burner. You know, Notre Dame has great tight ends who are good for working the seams, uh, getting those 15, 20-yard hits uh, off play action. You know, Notre Dame has that, but Notre Dame did not have the speed burner to go over the top and hit those really downfield plays to fully stretch the field against the Alabama secondary. Yeah, back in the day, the Rocket Ismail kind of guy of the world, the Tim Browns of the world, the, you know, the game-breaking wide receivers that Notre Dame used to have back in the 80s and early 90s, and that they that they don't have now they can compete on the offensive and defensive lines for the most part it's the skill it's the elite skill position guys that they're lacking i totally Ab- agree with you absolutely alabama speed is how alabama differentiated itself from Notre dame no question all right so let's move on to the title game this monday night coming up miami florida ohio state alabama some trickling news coming out of ohio state that they might have some COVID issues are they trying to stall to try to get justin fields healthy I mean, are they are they kind of playing chicken a little bit with that to try to stop, you know buy a little time? Who knows? But your thoughts on Ohio State, Alabama in Miami? My thought is I don't think that Ohio State can probably repeat that performance fully. I think they can they'll score some points, but I think that Alabama offense is just too dynamite, too diverse for Ohio State to keep up. I'm inclined to agree, and uh, the, the, thing, the thing about a possible delay, and the game's still on for Monday the 11th, but let's say a delay happens in the 48 hours after we record this show. Uh, okay, so Ohio State might get Justin Fields a week of time, but that also means Jalen Waddles back in the mix for Alabama, so that cancels out any perceived advantage <laughs> Ohio State might get. Uh, for with another week of rest for fields but you know assuming this game is played Monday um, I fundamentally agree that Ohio State maxed out against Clemson and it's kind of like you know I cover tennis and when Roger Federer beat Roger Federer beat Rafael Nadal in the semifinals of Wimbledon in 2019 had to play his best match to, to beat Nadal his nemesis well then he had to play Djokovic in the final and so it's really hard for Federer to beat Nadal and Djokovic back to back and that's what ohio state's looking at you have to beat clemson and alabama back to back and that that's a very tall order in and of itself but i think the main key and 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 flows from what we've been talking about with the sugar bowl and how clemson's offensive line got exposed doesn't seem like alabama's offensive line is likely to be exposed 
you know, Landon Dickerson was out at center against Notre Dame. And that was really a, a reason why, you know, I thought Notre Dame could at least keep the game somewhat close. Right. But Alabama's offensive line really didn't show much of any weakness against what it's a very strong Notre Dame front four. That's Notre Dame's best position group. You saw Notre Dame limit a high powered North Carolina offense, you know, with all its good players playing not the orange bowl where North Carolina was sitting out, you know, four or five different key players, but Notre Dame beat uh, North Carolina's a team offense, limited it to 17 points. Uh, and that's from Notre Dame's defensive front, Alabama's offensive line, just, you know, Mac Jones was not breathed on, had a clean pocket consistently was never under any real pressure. So that tells you how good Alabama's offensive line is. And so if Alabama's offensive line forms a brick wall against Ohio State's defensive line, there's just no way Ohio State's secondary can keep up with Alabama's receivers. It's going to be a total mismatch. So Ohio State has to figure out how to get home to Mac Jones. That is the whole ball game. That's the centerpiece of that of that matchup. And, and I think Alabama's going to run the ball with Najee. They're not going to get away from the run. you got great running backs and elite running back in Najee Harris, both in the passing game and the running game. The Alabama offensive line is, is like you said, they're very, very high quality. They're not going to get away. From, I think the balance of Alabama is going to be the difference in this one. I think I'm going to say 45-28 kind of game, a 14-17 to 17 point game is kind of what, I, what I'm thinking. Sounds really good. Yep. I think that's right on. All right, let's let's go back to your neck of the woods. One Steve Sarkeesian, who I'm sure you know well from your days of covering USC and the Pac-12. He's taking the job at Texas. Her Herman gets fired. I think they fired Herman once they realized Sarkeesian would take the job. I don't think they would have fired Herman unless they were getting had had a deal done with Sarkeesian. Your thoughts on Sarkeesian going to Austin? Yeah, so, you know, you, you fire Tom Herman for a guy who has never won uh, a conference championship as a head coach, yep. guy who's never had a 10 or 11 win season as a head coach. It's a risk. And it I mean, is. Now, and now it could work. You know, Ed Orgeron won a national title at LSU. That's one more national title than I thought he'd win uh, in, in Baton Rouge. So, you know, these, these hires might look bad. And, and people like me can and will eat crow as I had to after uh, Orgeron led LSU to a 15-0 season. But, you know, it, it's, it's still it's, – it's, the deck is stacked against Sarkeesian succeeding. Doesn't mean he can't or he won't, but just if I had to lean one way, I'd say, well, probably not going to work out to the extent Texas wants. First off, you want your rival to be really scared – when you make a coaching hire. And if I'm Oklahoma, am I scared that Steve Sarkeesian is Texas's head coach? Not exactly. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with Lincoln Riley going against Steve Sarkeesian if right. I'm Oklahoma. So that's one part of this. But then the other part is, you know, and, and let's give Sarkeesian credit. He's, he had battled alcoholism at USC. That's part of why he got fired. It really wasn't so much wins and losses. It was the problems with his behavior and his personal life, that's what led to his, his uh, dismissal at USC uh, in 2015. And then Clay Helton took over. And Helton, of course, is still there as USC's head coach. Uh, but now that Sark has you know, cleaned up his, his, his private life, now you, go, you get back to that situation he had at USC where he's the guy. You know, It's not a walk in the park to work for Nick Saban at Alabama, but 
it's still a coordinator job. It's not being the guy. And now he is the guy and he has to handle all that pressure. And you just hope that, you know, he has really built up himself internally, right. handling the alcoholism, handling the behavioral problems so that he's really, he really can be steady and focused at the level he needs to be for this job. So that's a concern. That was going to be, that that was going to be my, that was going to be my question. How is Sarkeesian going to handle the pressure cooker of Austin, all the pressure his he's had some personal issues off the field with the alcohol. That's to me, that's the thing that, you know, all the boost, you know, he's going to be hearing it from the boosters in and out within that program, the pressure to win a title. They've not won a title in so long with the expectation with Charlie strong, with Herman, you got Texas A&M building up their program down the street. You got Oklahoma that's still strong. That's the part of the job that I think that worries me a little bit with Sarkeesian. Yes, it's a very good point. Uh, there, are, there are a couple other details that, that need to be mentioned here. And one is that, you know, and this is from a USC perspective, you know, Sark was with Lane Kiffin under Pete Carroll a decade and a half ago. And, you know, both Sarkeesian and Kit Lane Kiffin have gotten additional chances to coach uh, in, in Power Five programs. But here's a key, there are two key differences between Sark and Lane Kiffin. One is that Lane Kiffin had a great season. It was the 2011 season when USC went 10 and two, uh, but it, USC wasn't eligible for the postseason because of the NCAA sanctions that were imposed in 2010. But had USC been eligible for the postseason, USC would have played Oregon in the 2011 Pac-12 championship game. You know, and, and if USC beats Oregon in that game under the hypothetical that USC would have been eligible, uh, you know, USC would have played in the Rose Bowl and maybe that whole decade with Lane Kiffin is different. But then, you know, when in 2012, when USC was eligible for the postseason, Lane Kiffin face planted. And then in 2013, you know, he got fired. Right. So it's a, but the, the point remains that Kiffin did have one really good season, a season better than anything Sarkeesian has done. And then yep. the other thing is that after Lane Kiffin got fired at USC, and, and took a few, and then, you know, he went, was uh, offensive coordinator under Saban at Alabama, similar to Sark. He then coached at Florida Atlantic for a few years. You know, he, he, right. he took his, he took his medicine for a little bit, coached at a group of five school as a head coach and tasted success there, two conference championships in three seasons. Right. So Sark hasn't gone through that kind of uh, head coaching rehabilitation process. Right. right. You know, it's, it's this, this is Texas is his first gig head coaching gig since USC, there hasn't been a job in between that. So between Sark not having a great season, which Lane Kiffin had at USC in 2011, and not having had success uh, at a group of five job, those are two key differences, which leads me to think that he's underprepared for this job and that he should have gone for a group of five head coaching job for a couple of seasons and then as the bridge to perhaps getting uh, the Texas coaching job a few years down the line. So there's just a lot of reasons to be worried that Steve Sarkeesian isn't quite ready and that he hasn't fully proved himself. Great offensive coordinator. Yeah, we can say that, but no, no sign yet that he's proved himself as a head coach anywhere, not at USC, not at Washington, not anywhere else. So it's it's just a lot of reasons to be uh, cautious here. Yeah, I was I was surprised that it, that they jumped so quickly to do that. I mean, 
that to me that would have been something you could have waited another one a week or two to do and really done your homework to make sure Sark was ready because I'm with you I I think it's going to to me it's not going to be a great fit in in Austin for Sarkeesian but we'll see we'll see all right let's transition to the NFL you're listening to the Powers on Sports pa- podcast I'm with, I'm your host Jason with Matt Zemek out in Phoenix we're, we're pre- previewing the national championship game we're going to preview wild card weekend now before we get to wild card weekend, I got to ask you something back about your hometown, Arizona Cardinals. What is Cliff Kingsbury on Sunday doing third and 20 from the 50 running an option play with a hurt Kyler Murray? Then he turns around and punts on fourth down from the 50 with four minutes to go when you're down 11 points in a game you have to win. It's a mighty fine question. I don't have a good answer. And, you know, just seeing the Cardinals from time to time, uh, I, I should, full disclosure, I'm a Seahawk fan. I, I spent 20, I lived 20 years in Seattle, but I mean, I, so I obviously follow the Cardinals, but like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, Kingsbury was very inconsistent in his decision-making throughout the season. Sometimes on fourth and one, he'd go for it. And he'd put the ball in Kyler Murray's hands and he'd trust him as he should, but then other times he didn't, you know, he kicked that long field goal uh, against yeah. the dolphins and, and yeah. he showed some passive tendencies in some of the games this season. And, and he got punished for those. So he did, he didn't have a consistent plan, didn't have a consistent identity. And uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, I cover USC Kingsbury was offensive coordinator at USC for a few weeks, but but right. we never coached it down at USC because he then took the Cardinals job. Right. Uh, but there's there's a parallel here in that USC and Kingsbury's Cardinals. What do they have in common? Air raid, and they both and they both have finesse offenses, and they have soft offensive lines. I mean, the offensive line is the key weakness of the Cardinals roster, and and that that is really the source of why Kingsbury is and has been so inconsistent in his decision-making. It's not so much that he's unwilling to trust Kyler Murray. He's unwilling to trust that offensive line. And you see it in the erratic decisions that he makes. So until the Cardinals get some, some elite offensive linemen, they don't have them right now. They're not going to take that next step. The Cardinals need to have some steel and toughness, which the Rams and the Seahawks, and of course, last year, the 49ers right. cultivated. I mean, the NFC West is the toughest division uh, in the NFL. You you have to be extremely physical to survive that division each year. And we saw how soft the Cardinals are, and it's why they're sitting home. Yeah, I mean, I just, like I said, I was just shocked that, you know, you're running a third and 20 option play with, you know, with a guy that's hurt. He, he missed most of the game, and then he comes back in the game, and you're running the option, and then you don't. You go, you punt with. You have to win the game. There's not yep. a there's not a way to get in the playoffs if you don't win the game. So I just yep. he, he's definitely on the hot seat next year. I mean his yep. honeymoon no is over and yep. Phoenix is over. Got to make know, the playoffs next season. No zero right. question. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's get to the wild card games. Obviously the news today coming out of Cleveland. Stefanski tests positive for COVID. A couple of coaches. He won't be in. He won't be the head coach uh, Sunday night against the Steelers. Do you think the NFL will move a game down at some point during the playoffs if a big name, if a Mahomes, a Tom Brady down here in Tampa, if they test positive for COVID, do you think the NFL will move a game to accommodate that from a TV ratings perspective or a competitive balance? 
I, I do. If, it, if it's a superstar quarterback, an emphasis on quarterback, because in, in a superstar defensive lineman doesn't move the needle the way a quarterback does, and it doesn't right. affect a game to the extent that a quarterback does. Uh, it's worth, you know, reviewing this NFL season uh, from the standpoint of, you know, which how, how the NFL applied its various policies and protocols. You know, the Detroit Lions got whacked by COVID late in the season. Uh, and, and you've seen some COVID issues come up with other teams like Dwayne Haskins, you know, he went maskless to a strip club, but he was able to play Carolina in uh, a late season game, the week, a week 16 game. Yeah. So, but he wasn't following protocols, but yet he was allowed to play. And you recall that the Denver Broncos whole quarterback room was not allowed to be active for that game against the Saints about a month earlier, but Washington was in the playoff hunt. So it seems to me that the NFL has done a lot of picking and choosing, being yeah. very selective based on did, was your team in the playoff hunt? You know how how big a, how much of a national profile does your team have? So given that pick and choose selective enforcement by the NFL. It certainly seems as though if Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers has COVID, yeah, they'll move the game around. But, you know, like if I'm the Broncos or if I'm, you know, an opponent of uh, 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 an opponent of any team that goes up against them, I'm going to be mad. But I mean, it's it does show that the NFL has not been relentlessly consistent right. in every circumstance. So that that because- that's has to be mentioned here. Yeah, a lot of speculation that New Orleans got to play this Sunday because Kamara would have been would have cleared protocol on Sunday but not Saturday. So a lot of people thought they got the Sunday afternoon slot because Kamara was going to be available whereas in Tampa our all-pro middle linebacker Devin White is not going to be able to play because they're playing Saturday because he tested positive. So like you said, middle linebacker you can you can wave off but the star quarterback or the big yep. time running back, they're going to have a little bit of more wiggle room and try to manipulate the schedule a little bit. Funny how that works, right? <laughs> TV ratings is what they need. Uh, it's crazy. All right, so let's let's talk about a couple of the games. To me, an intriguing game is in your neck of the woods, Seattle and the Rams. You got the the, the, the deal, a division rivalry, the third meeting of the year. Is Goff going to play? Is he not going to play? Walford played pretty good last week for the Rams after that first play of the game. John Walford, the, the backup quarterback for the Rams, your thoughts on this NFC West divisional rivalry game? Yeah, so I follow the Seahawks pretty closely, and and uh, as a someone who follows the Seahawks closely, I think they could very easily lose. Yeah, uh, and I think that John Wolford playing doesn't necessarily reduce the Rams' chances of this game. If you watch that Week 16 game, which the Seahawks won 20 to nine, Goff was horrible. You could say that Goff was the Seahawks' MVP in that game, throwing a terrible interception yep. uh, in the red zone. Uh, so, you know, if Wolford plays and, you know, Wolford threw that early pick against the Cardinals, but after that, he, he took good care of the ball, made good decisions. And Wolford is a lot faster than Goff in terms of mobility, making plays outside the pocket. And of course, running John Wolford's running game could be a, a real plus for the Rams in this game against Seattle. And of course, you know, the Rams are the kryptonite for the Seahawks. It's really interesting in the NFC West, the Seahawks figure out the Cardinals, or excuse me, the Seahawks figure out the 49ers. Pete Carroll, for whatever reason, does well against Kyle Shanahan. 
the Cardinals, you know, beat the 49ers earlier this year in, in week one. Uh, you know, the 49ers got revenge in, in the in uh, the late late season, a day after Christmas. Uh, but the Rams have had the Seahawks number since Sean McVay came aboard. The Rams have really bothered the Seahawks because the Seahawks were the big cheese. And so when Sean McVay came aboard, like his mandate was beat Pete Carroll. And he's usually done it. Uh, Aaron Donald has just been the Seahawks worst nightmare. And the Seahawks have not been able to block the Rams defensive front either of the two games this season. I mean, Seattle, uh, that, that offense, which was so productive in the first half of the season, the Seahawks have averaged 18 points in their two outings against the Rams this season. So it figures to be another ugly rock fight, 1916, 16, 13. So even with Wolford uh, replacing Goff, I don't think that really reduces the equation for the Rams you know, unless Wolford just disintegrates and, and you know commits three turnovers. But you know, based on what we saw from Wolford against the Cardinals, he's yeah. going to protect the ball. He's going to do a lot of running. Uh, there's a decent chance that Wolford commits, you know, no more than one turnover. And if that one turnover does not lead to Seahawk points, the Rams defense is certainly good enough to keep Seattle under wraps the whole game. I mean, Seattle could not beat Colt McCoy and the New York Giants at home. That's the reason right, why right. the Seahawks are at the third seed. They would have had a higher seed if they had managed to win that game. But so like Seattle's offense, see, it's, it's fascinating. Seattle's offense and defense Seattle's offense was doing everything in the first half of the season, and the defense was doing nothing. Second half of the season, completely flipped, 180 degrees. The defense has completely carried this team the past month, and the offense has looked mediocre at best. So it all points to like a 16-13 uh, stone fight. And in that kind of game, that's a game the Rams can win. The Seahawks are going to need to score over 20 points if they, if they want to feel good about themselves here. And the interesting thing in, the, in all these playoff games is going to be this is where the crowd becomes a major factor in these playoff games where there's going to be no crowd or in most of the stadiums it's going to be super minimal minimal number of people. How that affects the pressure of the moment of a playoff game versus a week five game, that's going to be the interesting dynamic is how many of these road teams can win these playoff games where no crowd or a very minimal crowd, a place like Seattle, which would be rocking in a playoff game, if they had a home crowd or a place like New Orleans, which would be rocking if they had crowd, that's going to be an interesting thing for me is how that goes, as well as the weather. You never know how the weather is going to be in Seattle. It could be an ugly, rainy day for all you know. Who knows? So the weather and the crowd, to me, is going to be interesting to see how these road teams respond to that. Absolutely. I would just add one more thing on Ram Seahawks is that, you know, Russell Wilson against John Wolford. Okay. You say, well, that's a mismatch in favor of Seattle and it might very well be, but if Russell Wilson is looking up at Aaron Donald's face while he's planted on the ground, that really doesn't matter. So right. uh, it, it's, it's, to me, it feels like a very even matchup and it just depends on whether Wolford turns the ball over or not. Cause Goff committed huge turnovers Two weeks ago in that week 16 game, if Wolford can avoid those turnovers, the Rams can score 16 points and it'll hold up. All right, make a pick. Who you like? Hometown team? I'm going to say the Seahawks win, but uh, it, it's going to be ugly. It's 16 13. You know, it's, it's going to be uh, by, by, by a, a razor close margin, but like, I just don't think that Wolford playing means, oh, Seahawks in a romp. No, I right. do not process this game that way. 
and Ru- and Russell might be the best guy in the league if you got to get a score in the last two minutes of the game with the way he can run around and create for himself. He's pro- to me, he's probably the best in the league of manip- creating that drive to win the game. I could see this being a field goal at the gun by Jason Myers for, for the Seahawks to win it kind of kind of game for sure. He hasn't he ha- he hasn't missed a field goal all season. Yeah, that's well. You just put the kiss of death on him now. Yeah, I might have jinxed it, but you got you got to say what you say. I got you. All right, give me an upset. Who do you like as an upset special this week in the wild card round? I'll, let me give you the one I like. I don't know if I think they can win the game, but I think they're going to play a lot better than people think. I think the Chicago Bears are going to figure out a way to keep the game close in New Orleans. I think New Orleans will win the game at the end, but it would not shock me if the Bears with that defense could come up with one big effort with that pass rush against Drew Brees to, to, to take, the, take the Saints to the limit. I think, you know, I, I, I can see upsets unfolding across the board here on this weekend. Um, and I think that that what you've just outlined, that's that's a very realistic scenario. I mean, the, the, the Saints beat the Bears on a last play field goal. I believe it was yep. overtime. Yeah. So, you know, the, the Bears are certainly capable of beating the Saints and Drew Brees arm is not what it used to be. You can kind of analogize that to. Peyton Manning in 2015 with the Broncos. Right. I mean, you knew that his arm was pretty much used up. I mean, maybe he'll, he'll have, he has a full bullets left in the chamber, but over the course of 60 minutes, he's going to make some noodle arm throws. So the Bears secondary can certainly get a few interceptions and uh, and create some havoc in that game. Uh, the the upset pick for me, uh, and I'm not I'm not expecting it, but like it's like I can really I'm really thinking it can happen is the Colts in Buffalo. And I mean, the Buffalo's a red hot team playing great football. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if the Bills not only get to the AFC championship game, but beat the Chiefs. I mean, they are playing better than the Chiefs right now. But Frank Reich coaching against the Bills in the playoffs. I mean, he's a Buffalo Bills playoff legend from that one comeback against the Houston Oilers in 1993. I mean, this is a special day for him. And while Philip Rivers also like Drew Brees, you know, his, his arm is shot, but the Colts, the Colts running game, yes. you know, have a formula to win on the road in the playoffs and in bad weather, time of possession, time yeah, of yeah. possession. You can see, you can see the Colts possessing the ball for 37 minutes, grinding out first downs, keeping Josh Allen off the field. I mean, they have the formula they do. And if they execute it, they have a perfectly legitimate chance to win. Again, I would not expect it, but that upset is right there as a very realistic possibility. And remember with Buffalo last year, the horrors of the, they were up 16, nothing in Houston last year in the wild card and just melted down against Deshaun Watson. So you can be assured those thoughts of that are going to be in their head, especially if the Colts get out to a, you know, a seven to 10 point lead, they're running the ball well. You know, to me, that's that's a very legitimate concern for Buffalo is the horrors of last year of of, of melting down in Houston for sure. Absolutely, uh, but I, I it's a great slate of games, and the one I'm looking forward to the most, Jason, is Ravens Titans, yeah. the rematch of the playoff game that has haunted the Ravens all season long. They wanted Tennessee, they got Tennessee. Yeah. Big time proving ground for Lamar Jackson to show that he can make money throws. In the playoffs, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, that's that, that's going to be a bloodbath with Lamar running and Derrick Henry pounding the ball. 
that could be the fast, one of the faster games in NFL history with as much running that's going to be in that game. So, I mean, uh, like you said, a great slate of games. I like that the NFL went to seven teams in each, in each uh, conference. That third wild card game is going to be an awesome thing for the fans, for us to watch and analyze. And, uh, Matt, I appreciate your time tonight, man. You did a great job covering all the topics we covered. Check out Matt on it. Tell us how they can read, read you, Matt. Where, where can they find you on, online and with USA Today? Okay, so uh, I'm at Trojans Wire, trojanswire.usatoday.com for my coverage of USC sports. We're doing a series called Diagnosis Darnold this week in terms yeah. of projecting, projecting Sam Darnold's future based on whether the Jets choose to keep him Nice. Uh, or whether they choose to pick Justin Fields in the NFL draft and, and opt to trade Darnold to another team. So we're looking at Jets scenarios if he stays a Jet, and we're looking at other team scenarios if he gets traded to other teams. So we're doing that at Trojans Wire this week. And then I'm also uh, at Patreon, Patreon slash Zemek, where I write about college football. And, and I'm, very soon I'm going to be writing about college basketball through March Madness. And you can catch Matt on, on Twitter at Matt Zemek. Just spell it out, Z-E-M-E-K, Matt, Z-E-M-E-K on, on Twitter. He's a very active Twitter, Twitter uh, guy and lots of good stuff on all topics, not just sports, talks politics, talks life, talks culture. So Matt's a really good read on Twitter and that. So Matt, I really appreciate your time, man. Have a great uh, bowl national championship game and NFL wildcard weekend. And we'll definitely get you on as we get closer to March Madness which is now all going to be in, in the state of Indiana from what it looks like. So uh, it's going to be great fun this coming football weekend with six wild card games. Jason, enjoy it. Thanks for having me on. Always a blast. All right, Matt. I appreciate it. You're listening to the powers on sports podcast. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes with TJ Reeves of the Buccaneers radio network. We'll see you in a minute. Before we get to TJ Reeves of the Buccaneers Radio Network, it's time to give you my pewter picks of the week. I'm going to pick all six wildcard games as well as the national championship game Monday night, Alabama-Ohio State. Let's start Saturday Super Wild Card matchup number one, one o'clock. Colts travel to Buffalo, Buffalo minus six at the time of this recording. Give me... I'm going to do a teaser with the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to tease Buffalo to a pick em, and I'm going to tease up the Los Angeles Rams to plus nine. I really like the Rams plus nine. I'm going to tease Buffalo down to, to a pick em. So here's your first game, your first bet if you'd like to make an investment. Buffalo Rams teaser. Uh, Saturday night, Buff Tampa Bay Buccaneers heading to D.C. to see the football team. Right now, the Buccaneers are a seven and a half point favorite. I love this game in a teaser. I'm going to tease down Tampa Bay to minus one and a half, and I'm going to pair them with the Alabama Crimson Tide on Monday night. Tease them down from eight points to minus two. This is my play of the week Alabama minus two, Tampa Bay minus one and a half. Two team teaser, load the wagon. On to Sunday. Ravens head to Nashville to see the Tennessee Titans. Ravens are a three-point road favorite. Don't love this game, but I would take the Tennessee Titans plus the three at home. I would encourage you to buy up to three and a half if you're going to take the Titans. If you're taking the Ravens, definitely buy down to two and a half. 
Sunday afternoon, 440 New Orleans in the Superdome. The Bears are getting 10 points against the Saints. I love the Bears plus the 10 here. Give me the Bears plus the 10, and I'm going to give you my upset special. Take the Bears in an outright stunner in New Orleans Sunday afternoon to end Drew Brees' career. Give me the Bears plus the 10, and give me the Bears straight up on the money line. Sunday night in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh minus six at home hosting the Cleveland Browns. No Kevin Stavansky calling the plays for the Cleveland Browns. I would do a teaser here. Take the Steelers minus the six. And I'd also I'd pair them either with the Buccaneers or with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Your choice, Monday night or, or potentially Saturday night game. So there you have it. All six games, including the national championship game on Monday night, which means seven. Go pound it. Enjoy your weekend. And here comes TJ Reeves of the Buccaneers Radio Network and the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Enjoy. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. Some great thoughts there with Matt Zemek. And we're very pleased to bring in one TJ Reeves. TJ is the host of the Three Dog Thursday podcast. He does pregame, postgame, and is a sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneer Radio Network. Those of you that are in the Tampa Bay area in the state of Florida know TJ well from his coverage of the Buccaneers and many other things. TJ also is play-by-play man for Compass Media Networks. Welcome back to the podcast, TJ. Always good to be with you, and because we're on audio, I should tell the audience that I have had a Buccaneer hat on my head for about seven consecutive days, including today, getting ready for the playoffs. My twins, my daughters, are in the seventh grade. They're 12 and a half years old, and they have never been alive for a Buccaneer playoff game, but here we go. They're alive now. They're on the planet. So for the first time, Mr. Powers, in 13 years, we get to talk about that as part of the Wild Card Weekend. It's great to be with you. Uh, much love to my buddy Matt Zimmick, who I know gave you a great, a great bit of knowledge on everything, including college football and the NFL. So I'm thrilled to be with you. Let's mix it up. Let's chop it up. Let's. I know for me and you that are diehard Buck fans, it's been a long time <laughs> we have, coming. We have died hard waiting for a playoff game. <laughs> Uh, again, and the Bucks have not won a playoff game since that 0-2 Super Bowl run. So there are plenty of middle schoolers and high schoolers all the way up to high school seniors that don't know what it is to win a playoff game. We'll hopefully take care of that Saturday night. We'll see. But this is this is neat for the area where we are. Um, it, it just uh, just real quick, you didn't prompt me with this, but in New England, they're suffering through the first time since 2008 that they're not in the playoffs because they missed this year without TB12, without the GOAT. They, they now may be about, we'll see, they may ma- now be about to experience what it's like for a few years. Ask right. the Denver Bronco fans here post-Peyton Manning and Super Bowl with four straight losing seasons now. There are, there are several different teams. The, the Raiders did get in the playoffs, what, three or four years ago, but they lost their playoff game. That's the one playoff appearance for the Raiders since the Super Bowl. Uh, the Browns just got in after 18 years. You can go a while without this in the NFL. So we're we're savoring that we're back in as as Buccaneer fans, observers, the the people in the area, the whole bit. And we're going to hit on this a little bit later. Is to talk about Black Monday coaching searches, and we, the Buccaneers have some stability in the front office and the coaching staff. So I think that's really played into the last few couple years leading up to this moment of us getting back into the playoffs. And 
like you said, we're 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 very excited with our with our big military presence here at McDill Air Force Base. People around the country, world that that are that are Tampa Bay Buccaneer that have spent time here, whether it's in the military or lived here, it's a big it's a big weekend for those people as well all around the country. Yeah, it's it's amazing that you're right that there are Buccaneer fans and they're they're fans of every NFL team overseas with the troops in Europe, in the Far East, um, in the Middle East. Uh, different different places where there's U.S. military bases, uh, et cetera. You just jogged me on something. I'll tell you a quick story. You know that I'm full of crap, full of stories, and whenever I can tell them, I'll do it on the Powers on Sports podcast. You got so it. We had, we had an Iraq veteran, a U.S. war veteran, um, who was coming back one of these recent salute to service games. It's probably been five years ago. So they snuck him back, Jason, um, into the country to surprise his family right around Thanksgiving and right around Veterans Day. And so we we had him with us on the radio, uh, but not on the air. He wanted to come see what the radio was like. He wanted to see Gene Deckerhoff, our legendary play-by-play man, meet him, had never met him. He had been a big fan. He had grown up. He had listened to me on Tampa Bay Sports Radio. But he's been serving our country for like two years, at least a year plus away from his family, and all he cared about was, hey, I, I've been trying to keep up with the Bucks as best I could while we're over here in Iraq. Um, what are the scores? Where's a highlight that I can watch? And now he was here at a game. And I, I was just, uh, you know, you, you're, you're so conflicted. You're thankful that for he and his service. But I'm like, how privileged are we that we get right. to see all this and watch all this? And the military guys are fans just like we are and gals. They're fans of the teams wherever they were. And so it was quite a neat moment because about halfway through the first quarter, they did the recognition of him on the video board and had his family standing on the field. And we've seen this so many times. This was the Buccaneer version where he comes out of the stands. He came out of the stands and down the steps and came and hugged them. And the whole, the whole moment was just, was just awesome. But I was just struck from what he said about, we get so little information, so little highlights. We're trying to keep up and we're fans uh, of these teams, and we want to know how are they doing. We, we might get a chance to see part of a game or part of the Super Bowl. We might get to watch some of that in the middle of the night in a lot of cases. So it's just neat, and you're right. There are a lot of Buck fans all over the place. Jason, there is a huge Buccaneer fan club called the Buckaholics. Not, not the other, but the Buckaholics. <laughs> the Buckaholics are based on the West Coast, and they literally have over 400 members on the West Coast. They've now begun to branch out with chapters in other places. So the Buckaholics are three time zones away, 3,000 miles away on the West Coast, primarily in California of the United States. They're going crazy for Buccaneers and Washington football teams. So free plug, good on the Buckaholics. There you go. I, I, even when I lived in Birmingham, we had a little, a little small town eight or 10 Buccaneer fans would always come to the same sports bar and watch the games on Sundays when I lived up in Birmingham. So whether, no matter what team you are, they're all over the country. Every team has a little fan club, yep. a little sports bar all over the place. And that's great. And I know with your experience with Sirius XM, the advent of XM radio, where you can be all, anywhere in the world and listen to all the NFL games online is a big help to those guys as well that don't necessarily can't watch the game on TV. Yeah, it has become so modernized. It's a great point. And the NFL has now made it available in other countries and online where you can watch the games. Again, uh, to share this, uh, the Buccaneers in their heyday in the late 90s and early 2000s, they had fan clubs all over the country like you're talking about. And even in the UK, in Britain, in England, there was a massive 
fan club. And some of those people are still around with the fan club, but it's obviously dissipated some. It's obviously been stamped out some by the fact that you've not been winning. But they were watching games all the time in the middle of the night, especially sure. the playoff games. Uh, some of those guys are ready to watch this game coming Saturday with the Washington football team. And again, with the time displacement, it will start around 1.30 in the morning in the UK, Sunday yeah. morning. They'll be watching all in the middle of the night until about 5 a.m. Sunday morning to see who wins uh, over in the UK. So again, it's it's neat. And it's great that you are inviting me to be on because that means the Bucks are still relevant and we're talking playoffs. That's right. That's right. All right, let's get to before we get to the Buccaneers in the wild card weekend, let's hit a little college football. We got the national okay. championship coming up Monday night down in Miami. You got Alabama. We have Ohio State. But let's go back to the semifinal first. Lots of people didn't lots of people thought Clemson was a pretty solid favorite. They thought Ohio State could win the game, but I don't think anybody would have thought. Ohio State wins that game as convincingly as they did by three touchdowns. Your thoughts? The podcast audience cannot see me, but I put my hand up as one of those that thought Clemson was going to win and win impressively. And I saw that Ohio State team with Tiki Barber. You plugged for me very graciously. Uh, doing Compass Media Network's national radio coverage, we covered the Big Ten championship game. Tiki Barber and I, the former New York Giant, uh, great we were there, and Ohio State was unimpressive. That's the word I keep using. They they were fortunate they weren't playing a much better offensive team than what Northwestern wasn't that day because if they had been playing a Clemson, if they had been playing uh, an Alabama, a Florida, some of the upper echelon teams, even, even if they had been playing somebody like Cincinnati that could move the ball with a good quarterback, they would have probably lost that game by a couple of scores to anybody else. And a team like Alabama would have probably beaten them by three or four touchdowns that day in Indianapolis. So they were fortunate uh, to get out of that, to get into the college football playoff. And then, man, did they flip a switch. That was a different team. And I know part of it is they got a couple of their guys back. The receiver, Chris Olave, did yep. not play in the Big Ten title game. He's a difference maker. You got to account for him. He's a deep threat. And Justin Fields lit it up in part throwing to Alave and others. And Clemson just wasn't ready for them in a lot of ways, which we can get into. That was impressive from Ohio State. And I did not see that coming. There are a lot of people that were wrong about that as the Buckeyes just steamrolled them, Jason. They did. I, they, they, to me, the, the, the big moment, in the, not moment, but the big difference in the game, Trey Sermon establishing that running game. He is really, like you said, in your game, in the Big Ten championship game, he had a monster game against Northwestern, almost 300 yards <laughs> He rushing. had over 300. He had yes. over 300. Tiki, yeah, Barber, mean, Tiki Barber is saying to me, TJ, he's got 275 yards, and we got the whole fourth quarter to play. I mean, uh, and so you talk about a guy that is now going to potentially be the next. I'm not saying he is Ezekiel Elliott or right. he is Eddie George. But he's kind of the next guy right now in this moment that's along the lines of their big-name running backs, and he's an Oklahoma transfer. Has he made himself some money in this postseason with a Big Ten title game and the semifinal game? And if he runs for any kind of damage against Alabama on Monday night in the championship game, Trey Sermon uh, is, is looking at being probably at least a second-round pick, if not a first-round pick, in the NFL draft. Sure, sure, absolutely. And and the way they're, you know, Fields really helped his draft stock. A lot of people were questioning Justin Fields. He played really well against Clemson. The one thing with Clemson that kind of I was very surprised, they had a tough time getting lined up on defense. You saw multiple plays where they were just scrambling. They so do you want to get into it? Up. Do you want to get into it? 
Let's I get mean, into it. Ryan, Ryan Day, the coach of Ohio State, was talking about this cryptically. He was talking about it in code. Uh, he didn't come right out and say it, but he basically put it out there. What they do is they steal your signs. They steal your signals, <laughs> and then they get lined up. And he, he went back to last year's Fiesta Bowl and looking at it at time and again, how they suddenly made an alignment or an adjustment as soon as you signaled the play in. And so one of the things that Ohio State set out to do by design was we're not going to signal in the play until the last second or something. We're going we're gonna to make it much more brief, not as elaborate. And we're not going to at times even signal in the play. We're just going to stand around and suddenly run up to the line and run a play. And, Cle and Clemson time and again, um, I saw this online. Again, this was not part of the ESPN broadcast of the Ohio State Clemson game. But somebody online was putting the all 22 where you could see the whole field and the raw video, not cut up clip to clip, but the raw video. And this person was pointing out, watch the Clemson guy standing around here for 10 seconds just before the play. Uh, they are waiting to be told what the play is and right. where to line up. And they're not getting that info. And that's why they're not lined up. And Ohio State hit them with two different touchdown plays, just what you said, where Clemson wasn't ready. So does this rise to the level of Bill Belichick and the Patriots <laughs> and Spygate? How much do we investigate Dabo Sweeney, yeah. Brent Venables? Uh, there is definitely proof out there with what Ohio State did against them by huddling up. Uh, it's another thing that LSU did in the championship game last year where Orgeron staff, where Joe Brady on offense, uh, M. Zinger, the offensive coordinator that had been there as a veteran, they noticed the same thing, that that the, these guys are waiting to the last second to suddenly line up and change their defense. So they kept having LSU huddle up or run a hurry-up offense where they couldn't get lined up. And it's not everything, but that's an important thing, and Ohio State took advantage of it. And on the other side of the ball, I didn't think Dabo Sweeney coached a very good game. I know they were without their offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, calling plays, but I didn't like how – I didn't think Dabo did a great job managing the game. For, First play of the fourth quarter, they're down three touchdowns, fourth and one, and they punt. Yeah. They punted the Made ball. Made no sense. You know, they, no were sense. The, they were at the 45-yard line earlier <laughs> in the game, fourth and two. You have the All-American quarterback, and you punt. They didn't play very, very aggressively. It was just and, and you bring up a great point. I mean, because you, up, you upset the continuity of who's usually there calling the plays. And the other thing is – if Dabo is thinking about punting there, that's where Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, would probably click the talk button to him and say, Coach, we got to go here. We're down right. by 21. We got to go. And he snaps out of it. So that, that continuity played a part in it. And look, I, I have plenty of friends, colleagues, Ohio State fans. They believe that Dabo got exactly what he deserved for ranking him 11th <laughs> and talking all the smack that he talked uh, to, get, to get smacked down in, in the Sugar Bowl by uh by ohio state so uh again full credit to ohio state and fields even playing with the busted up ribs yeah uh we we have not been told we're not going to probably be told does he have broken ribs or not uh he certainly was in some pain that's it's worse after the game jason you oh, played yeah. at the highest level it's worse the days later or the nah. week later i don't know how effective he's going to be monday night with that but man was he great as pedestrian and ordinary as he was in the Big Ten championship game that I called and watched and saw yes. with my own eyes, he was 180 different, and he had to be, and he was against Clemson, and that's why they're in the title game. Absolutely. Let's get to the other game. Another team you're very familiar with, University of Alabama, a kind of a ho-hum game against Notre Dame. They were, 
They were in control most of the game. There was really never a doubt of who was going to win the game. Right. It was just a matter of how much. You've covered Alabama multiple times this year with Tiki Barber as well. Before we get to the game, give me a quick thought on Devontae Smith winning the Heisman. Well-deserved. And again, what do I know? I don't have a Heisman vote, but I was saying at the end of November, he is the best player on the best team. And this was before the, uh, the SEC title game. This is before that semifinal game, the SEC title game. He had what two touchdowns yep. in that one semifinal game. He had three more, including a couple more spectacular catches. Um, he's amazing. And he is, and he deserved this and it's good on the Heisman trust because they had basically turned this into a quarterback award, as you right. know, Jason, over the course of the last 15, 20 years, with the exception of the two Alabama running backs, Ingram and Derrick Henry, they, they had turned this into who's the best quarterback with the best stats. Right. So it's good that we got away from that a little bit for one year and said, who's the best player. And I've heard the arguments. I get it. I love, I love the debate. Um, but Devontae Smith kept turning 10-yard passes from Mac Jones into 80-yard touchdowns. So on the stat sheet, they say 80-yard touchdown, but it should say 80-yard touchdown, 70 yards of it, Devontae Smith. Right. Because that's what he did on multiple occasions in games that I did uh, and, and, and watched them. Um, again, he's electric. That's well-deserved and good on the Heisman. First time since you and I go back to Desmond Howard, right around yeah. the time you were playing, yep. uh, and I was in school. Desmond Howard getting it in 1991 is the last true wide receiver. Yep. Charles Woodson won it uh, after that in what 98? But he was 97, he, 98. Yep. Defense, right? 90, whichever it was, 96 or 97, as a defensive player that also played receiver and also returned kicks. So it's good that they broke it up from just being a quarterback award. I think it's well-deserved, and, and he's the biggest factor uh, in the game for Alabama, more so than Najee Harris as we segue into that. If Devontae Smith can get free and make the player two or five that he has made over and over again, right. Al Alabama will put 30, 40, 45 points on the board again. I agree. I think, I think it's going to be difficult for Ohio State to match the intensity and the getting it up for that kind of game again. Again, there's also the thought that Jalen Waddle might be back, the guy that everybody thought before Devontae Smith, he was going to be a Heisman guy this year, and then he gets hurt in the Tennessee game, and that's when Devontae Smith really elevates his game and, go, and, and steps into the spotlight. Somebody had the great line that Alabama uses the loses the biggest play threat and arguably the best skill player in the SEC when Waddle goes down, and they replace him as it turns out with the biggest threat and the best skill player in the SEC in replacement in Devonte Smith. <laughs> so that's that's a great luxury to have, and uh, you know we'll see if Waddle can play or not. Um, and, and again, uh, you know. We look forward to this. I, I will point out to, uh, to, to something to watch for Monday night because this got pointed out to me by Tiki uh, doing the three Alabama games. It got pointed out to me by Alabama people. Forget about Devontae Smith just being fast or just being athletic. They said route runner. Yes. Watch how he runs routes like an NFL receiver where the defensive back and even the double team doesn't know which way he's going on a double move. They don't know if he's running deep and stopping and turning around, or they don't know if it's a stop and go because of how good of a route runner he has become yep. the last two or three years and how NFL ready he is. So Ohio state may have a plan. I'm not saying the guy is unstoppable, but to think he's not going to make a big play or two, fantasy land, Devontae Smith, Monday night against the Buckeyes. And the other part of the part of the, the equation that, that gets overlooked is how good of a blocker he is in the running game for Najee Harris. 
or the wide, rece- wide receiver right. screen game, when they throw screens to other guys, you see Devontae as a willing blocker to help spring those wide receiver screens and those kind of plays for all the extra chunk yardage that they get. And, and Nick Saban has tremendous respect for that and for that aspect of the game. I mean, we'll, we'll bring it back to the Buccaneers and Chris Godwin, who is the complimentary receiver to Mike Evans, uh, complete football player. I mean, yeah. we're talking about go across the middle, Godwin in the NFL, and take the lick and make the catch. There was a play last week in the Buccaneer game with the Falcons where Godwin blocked his guy on a receiver screen to Antonio Brown and then blocked Antonio Brown's guy trying to tackle him. He blocked right. both guys. And right. you're right, Devontae Smith will get out there and block people, whether it's for Waddle, whether it's for John Mechie, the other receiver from Canada uh, that plays, go to the second level and get a block for Najee Harris down the field. Again, right. unselfish because he could he could be a total prima donna and not want to be involved in sticking his nose in and blocking people, but it's about the team and it's about trying to win. All right, let's get to the. So we got Alabama, Ohio State championship game Monday night. What are your thoughts on the kind of the, the word trickling out of Columbus? We might have some COVID issues this week. We, we might need a delay. Hint, hint, Justin Fields is probably still hurt. Hint, right. hint. What are your thoughts? Do you, do you exactly think there's any chance they postpone the game? No, I, I think they should put their feet to the fire. And should say, we gifted you into this. That's the word. That's the verb. We gifted you into this situation with only six wins to put you in here. You understood we were playing the semifinal games and then the championship game. And you've already had your month of COVID outbreak. And and, and look, I, I understand health and safety first. But Ohio State has already dealt with this back in November with not right. being able to play games. Their coach, Ryan Day, having it, multiple players having it, et cetera, et cetera. So from my standpoint, make them play Monday night with who they have because you they, you've seen that. Nick Saban uh, did not coach um, in, uh, in the Mississippi State game that I worked on national radio with Tiki Barber because he had it. The Alabama players did not have an outbreak per se, but we've – We've seen several programs in the SEC. Trevor Lawrence had it, and Clemson had to play two games without him, including the Notre Dame loss. Right. So play with who you have is my motto, and I think the college football playoff will hold firm on that as, as we tape this late in the week. They're playing Monday night. Play with who you have. I agree. I agree. I agree. All right, let's get to the game Monday night. Your, uh, to me, one of the – again – Clemson's offensive line got exposed last week against Ohio State. I think Alabama's offensive line's much better. I think, I think to me, which team can establish that running game? Najee versus Trey Sermon, which is going to open up the play action for both Mac Jones and Justin Fields. What are your impressions of the Alabama offense outside of Devontae Smith? I like that with, again, here's the other caveat. Steve Sarkeesian has taken the Texas job. So is all his, all his attention on the Alabama game? Or did he split some of his time doing his Texas duties? How do you think that dynamic plays into the into it's the valid? It's a valid point. I, I think they have learned from what happened with Lane Kiffin a few years ago, where Kiffin had taken the Florida Atlantic job the week of the semifinal game, and and where that all went so sideways, including during that game, which Alabama won and won convincingly. But you know, Nick Saban, the reason why they win all the time at the highest level is he ain't satisfied with anything. It doesn't matter how much you're winning by. And it doesn't matter uh, what the scoreboard necessarily says. He wants to see how did you look? How did you perform? How did you play? And in that situation, Kiffin, and you know this because you've got Alabama ties uh, as well. Kiffin was calling plays in the game that they had not worked on during the week. 
They had not worked on certain plays in certain situations right. because he had been away and had been detached and didn't stay attention to detail. And Sarkeesian was on that staff back right. now, what, four years ago right. when that was happening, four or five years ago. I, I, it all runs together. That was the 2016 16, season, yeah. right? Yeah, all right, so. 2017 playoff. And so uh, Sarkeesian saw all that. And then Nick Saban said to Lane, guess what? You're done. You're the Florida Atlantic coach. Go coach them. Sarkeesian's going to coach the championship game and, and be, the, be the play caller. And they did very well. So my point coming back to what you asked is Saban's aware of what happened before. I'm pretty sure that early in the week, Sarkeesian did his stuff with Texas. And probably, this is world according to TJ, probably since Tuesday, he has been full bore into Alabama the, the preparation, the practice, the game plan, all of that. So I don't expect the same problem uh, at all. Remember, they dealt with this with Kirby Smart on the defense, which, right. again, Saban is more of a defensive guy, but Smart had taken the Georgia job. And uh, that, was the, that was the playoff, I believe, uh, right mm. before as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, may, it may have been that same year in 2016 uh, where Kirby Smart was taking the Georgia job because the next year is when Georgia got into the – into the semifinal, but in, in any event, he's dealt with this with his assistant coaches before and whether they're taking another job, I think it's overblown. I think Alabama will be ready. I think Sarkeesian will be locked in. I mean, what better recruiting tool do you need one more time at Texas than you light it up in the championship game with Alabama and say, thanks for the memories, hook them horns. I'm coming to Austin. Who wants to play with me? Jason right. Powers. Right, right. Absolutely. And would you think, I think Ohio State's going to have to score in the high 30s minimum to be in the game. I think Alabama's going to get 38 to 40 in this game. I don't think the Ohio State defense is great. And I think with the with the Alabama offensive line stable, even though they are missing their center still, I think with the weapons that they have, I think 40 points is the benchmark that Ohio State has to get to to be in this game. And I don't see them getting to that. I mean, Florida was able to get there with all the weapons in the SEC title game. And frankly, that shocked me. <clears throat> I kept saying over and over again, if Alabama, same kind of thing, can get to the like the magic number of 40, 41, 43 points or whatever, Florida's not going to get there. Well, Florida got there. Yep. I don't think Ohio State is as dynamic. They they have to hope for two things. Control the ball with the, with the run game to kind of shorten the game a bit and have Alabama turn it over. You force a couple of Alabama turnovers to keep you in the game and to keep them from boat racing you right that's how ohio state has a chance in this game and certainly they have a bigger uh, chance i think in a lot of people's minds after what we saw them do to clemson right. i again repeat uh something that my colleague brian edwards says on the three dog thursday podcast as we plug away he's a senior handicapper majorwager.com vegas insider he has said this for the last two years it's been a mantra of his for saban's tenure really over the last seven or eight years Let's remember, we are talking about Alabama. So you can say about Clemson, whatever you want, right. or beating Northwestern. Let's remember, we are talking about Alabama here in the title game. And more than likely, if they don't turn the ball over and Ohio State can't grind the clock, they're going to put their 35, 38, 41 points on the board they have on everybody they've played and wanted to. I think they I think they 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 just they just broke the NCAA record for the most games over 35 points in a Correct. row. I think last week they it got broken it's because like of the end. Right, it's it was like 20 or 21 straight games going back over the last 2 right. years of 35 or more and you're right, it got broken by them scoring 31 and basically right. taking the foot off the gas right. in the fourth quarter where they could have maybe scored more than 35. 
All right, so it sounds like we're both leaning Alabama. I, I definitely think Alabama's going to win the game. I just hope from a fan's perspective that, that, it's a, that it's a game in the third quarter. You know, I hope it's not a 28-10 to, to 10 kind of game at halftime. Hopefully we got a ball game going into the third quarter down in Miami and all that. You, so you're taking Alabama as well, TJ? I Alabama. Uh, again, I'll invoke another one because you love this. Uh, you and I are contemporaries, just like Howard Cosell used to say all the time. I remember because I was there. I was there the last time the Tide was in Miami bashing Notre Dame with A.J. McCarron, Eddie Lacy, Amari Cooper, Dante Hightower on the defense. They blew away Notre Dame. I don't know that this is a blowout in the first half. I could right. see Alabama pull away in the second half. I will be stunned, stunned if Ohio State is within a score or tied in the fourth quarter. That's a great performance by them. And then, and then we may be in an interesting dynamic because Alabama hasn't been in a game really uh, since going back to the Georgia game at Ole home Miss. at halftime or Maybe the Ole Miss. Miss game all the way back in September right. where a team really challenged them into the fourth quarter. So what happens if Ohio State is right there within a score or a tie game in the fourth quarter? I think it's a valid point, but I don't think it'll happen. I think Alabama wins by a couple of scores. I'll tell you what's going to happen. They throw to Devontae Smith if it's a game in the fourth quarter. More <laughs> passes to Devontae. Feed number six. Uh, it, it was amazing just one more time, and I, I saw him a couple of times make plays. He made a play in the back of the end zone through two defenders against Georgia and toe-tapped the feet down. And yeah. I looked at Tiki Barber, and yeah. I said, my friend, that had three letters written all over it, NFL. Yeah, That's where sir. you see catches like that. He had that play. Again, we're going on and on like we're his agents, like we're his PR team. He had that play. Uh, in the uh, in the Rose Bowl being played bizarrely in uh, in Arlington, Dallas. Texas, in Dallas, where he hung in the air for like two seconds, floating across the middle like Michael Jordan. I mean, it was it was poetic. It yep. was ten times more athletic than I could ever be in my life. That he leaped off one foot and floated in the air for like probably about five to seven yards of space while floating in the air. It is again folly it is make-believe to think you're going to stop that guy for the entire game especially if they line waddle up on the other side healthy good luck Buckeye fan absolutely absolutely all right you're listening to the powers on sports podcast I'm your host Jason TJ Reeves Buccaneer Radio Network three dog Thursday podcast which will be getting released later in the week on Thursday or Friday all right, let's transition to the National Football League Wild yes. Card Weekend. It's not just Wild Card Weekend, TJ. It's Super Wild Card Weekend now that we have two additional games from the four traditional games on Wild Card. We're in up to six now because each conference has got seven teams in the playoffs. We're going to first hit the Buccaneer-Washington game. Obviously, that's closest to ours. Let's, let's, let's do a breakdown, a good, solid breakdown of this game. We both know the, both of these teams very well. Give me the one part of the, game, the of the of the roster that you really think the Buccaneers have improved in the last five or six weeks. To me, it's the offensive line, pass protection. Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, keeping Brady in the clean pocket. I think the overall depth at receiver, not just Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, but you've worked Antonio Brown in. Everybody wondered how that would work. And I had my doubts, too, when you bring a guy in in the middle of the season who has who doesn't know the playbook, is how, and, and it took a while, but obviously we've seen in the last two or three games, he's come on. 
uh, as a Pro Bowl caliber receiver. Gronkowski still looks fantastic. He has silenced the critics and critics and doubters as to whether he could play a full 16 game season and stay healthy. Ding check. He did. He can still go down the field and make some plays. Um, again, the Buccaneers depth at receiver and tight end with pass catching weapons that that's developed the, uh, the most into what Tom Brady has. And he's got to be again, euphoric with all these different guys he can throw to. They lose Mike Evans, the number one receiver in the first quarter of the game last week. Thankfully he is not seriously hurt, but Brady goes on to throw for 300 yards in the, in the next uh, three and a half quarters to the other guys, to Godwin, yeah. to Brown, to Gronkowski, to Scotty Miller, um, and, and again, uh, good luck to the Washington football team. We, we know they scrambled to, to find a way to get in. I, I have been saying all week they made the playoffs. We understand it. But just don't tell me it was pretty. It was like crawling on your hands and knees to the finish line is yeah. what it was for them to get in. They're offensively challenged. And if the Bucs start putting points on the board, here we go back to the Alabama thing with Ohio State. If the Bucs start putting 21, 24, 27 points on the board, it is game over. Washington yeah. cannot score with them. So you say offensive line, I'll say that the receiving core and the depth of, and the development of the receiving core is what I've been the most impressed with the last few weeks. As Brady has thrown for 1,000 yards and what is it, nine touchdowns in the last two and a half games. Right. Let me say that again. He didn't play the second half of the Detroit game. So essentially in 10 quarters, he has thrown for 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. I know the <laughs> level of competition is not great, but that's staggering. Absolutely. And again, the narrative with Brady and the Bucs, especially Brady, has been if you can get pressure with the front four, and obviously Washington has an excellent defensive line, yes. tons of number one draft picks all over the place. If you can pressure Brady up the middle, allegedly the narrative is that Tom doesn't like to get – and my question is, what quarterback likes to get hit up the middle anytime? Forget Tom Brady. There's no quarterback that says, hey, I want to get hit as I'm throwing the ball in the pocket. So to me, the Buccaneer offensive line, if they can pass protect, they are going to carve up the, the Washington secondary. I think we're in agreement there, and I think Washington understands that uh, as well. If they can get pressure with the front four, like what – and the Saints were bringing the blitz some of the time too, but the Rams also in the two Buck losses on national TV in November, those teams got pressure with the front four and rattled him, and the Buccaneers got behind by a couple of scores and stopped running the ball. I think Byron Leftwich right. has, has learned from that. Bruce Arians has learned from that. you got to keep the offense balanced even if you're losing in the first quarter. That's Washington's hope. Get to him early on. Um, the, the one thing that I keep coming back to is the Washington football team hasn't played any kind of a dynamic offense like this down the right. stretch. Yes, they played Seattle with Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson doesn't have the weapons that, that Tom Brady does. And by the way, Washington lost right. uh, playing that team. If they thought Teddy Bridgewater throwing the ball on them was bad a couple of weeks ago when they lost at home late in the year, yep. th this, this is – multiple levels above that what they're about to see with a quarterback who has made his career off of January games Tom Brady we're talking about 30 3-0 playoff wins for Brady how many do the rest of the quarterbacks the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL playoffs for this weekend and for the uh, the two that are on the bye Rodgers and Mahomes do they combined have 30 wins I don't in the playoffs, so. we'd have to look maybe with Breeze and maybe with Aaron Rodgers, maybe with Russell Wilson, they might have 30 combined, maybe. 
Brady's got 30 by himself. So this is what he's made for. Let's see if he can deliver Saturday night. Defensively for the Buccaneers. To me, Todd Bowles, if you watch that game against Philadelphia last week, Alex Smith looked very jittery on that leg. Whether it's his calf or his leg bothering yes. him, he looked very. He's basically throwing off of one leg. Do you do you ramp up the pressure or do you play play? I think they're they're coming after him. I think if I think they're coming after him, they're going to hit him. I think they're going to make Alex Smith or whoever or Heineke if he ends up playing some of the action, they're going to make him try to win the game over the top. Absolutely, you have to because one thing we've seen the Buccaneers fail at even even in this stretch here against the bad teams is when they lay back and play zone coverage, soft coverage. Other teams take advantage of that. You can't do that by and large Saturday night. Be aggressive from the beginning. It's great news, and I know we're going on and on about the Buccaneers, but again, I say to the audience on the Powers on Sports podcast, when Jason brought me on, what did you think we were going to talk about? <laughs> Easter eggs? Right. What did you What did you think we were going to talk about? So Shaq Barrett being back for the Buccaneers yep. who led the NFL in yep. sacks off the right defensive end a year ago, Barrett off the COVID-19 list because he tested negative for the, for the five days in a row to come off of the list to prove I don't have it, I'm not contagious. So he comes back, that's huge to get after Alex Smith on one side, Jason Pierre-Paul on the other side. And just like the Washington line is licking their chops, the Buccaneers are the same way. Let's hope that Todd Bowles does stay aggressive with that defense, and I think they will because they have shown the ability in spots to disrupt the other team. They rattled Aaron Rodgers. They were picking him. They were stacking him. Uh, that's that's the situation you want to be in, and let's, let's see it start in the first half Saturday night yeah. against uh, Washington. I think it's critical for the Buccaneers to get the lead. You've noticed with the last couple of games, when they've won the toss, they've taken the ball. They want to get to the lead because they're, gonna, they're a much better team when they're playing from ahead or at least even as opposed to being down 14 to 7, 10 to nothing, like they've been a couple of these bigger games, these primetime games, play from the lead. I, I will. There are a few guarantees in life like death, taxes, Jason Powers from 30 yards with the game on the line for a field goal. There are a few guarantees in life. I will guarantee you want a guarantee on the powers on sports podcast. Whoever wins the toss Saturday night at FedEx field is taking the ball. They will not defer because be very well aware that Washington understands Brady wants the ball first and the bucks want the ball first. I, I firmly believe this. So if the, if, if Washington wins the toss, they will take the ball. And if you're the bucks, why would you change what's happened the last two weeks where right. you've stormed right down the field for a touchdown, take the ball. If you win the toss and set the tone in this one, I love that. So there is the TJ lock for Saturday night. I have few other guarantees that I can come up with in life right now. I'll go with the coin toss. Whoever wins, they're taking the ball. They're not deferring. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it looks like the weather's not going to be terrible in, in D.C. Cold, but in the 30s it looks like. But it's not going to be snowing or raining. It sounds like it's just going to be a little cold. So that the weather shouldn't be a major problem for the Buccaneers as well. So. So I think we both like the Buccaneers. I, I just think there's too much offense on the, for the Buccaneers. Like you said, if the Buccaneers get to 24 points, I think they win the game comfortably. Last playoff win for the Bucs is the Super Bowl win over the Raiders in San Diego, California. They've only been in the playoffs two times since then, losing to the former Redskins and the New York Giants. It has been a while, but this is why you got Tom Brady. So yeah. I know we spent a lot of time on this, but – I will say something that I've said on D.C. radio three or four times this week. D.C. area radio, Richmond, Virginia, I was on uh, as well. Um, and, I, and I've done this on a couple of other places, too. 
the most dangerous team right now in the NFC playoffs, B-U-C-C-A-N-E-E-R-S, go Bucks. With Brady at the helm and all the weapons and the hunger for the for a lot of these players, Levante, David, Mike Evans, the offensive lineman, Ali Marpet, Donovan Smith, Ronald Jones, I'm going right down the list. Yep. People that have been around. They and Dominican want, Sue. Sue. And Dominican like Sue. Sue. They want to win. And so let's see how it all unfolds with Brady at the helm. And like I said, I, I think they got a good draw. They, they, they've shown if they win this game, potentially they could go to Lambeau next week and say the Packers, which they've already beaten this year handily in Tampa. So I think I'm with you. I think they got a great draw. Give me a couple. Let's go down the list slate a little bit, a couple games. What's another game that intrigues you wildcard weekend? I, uh, I have been saying all week that the Rams and the Seahawks in the NFC playoffs, can Jared Goff play with the fractured thumb? Remember the, the Rams and Seahawks split. They beat Seattle at home primarily with their defense, and they could have, should have, could have, would have won the game because the Rams and Seahawks were tied in the second half when, when Goff had the injured thumb. How Can he play? We don't know at the time that we're taping this podcast. It's Saturday afternoon as opposed to Sunday. Uh, maybe this was a two- or three-week thing for his thumb, and we're going to see John Wolford again from the yep. Alliance of American Football and, and the uh, the Arizona Hot Shots. Wolford played in the game last week for the Rams against the Cardinals and was and was so-so. Uh, all right, so uh, Russell Wilson at home. Normally, you would write that, write that off, but again, they don't have the crowd. No crowd. No crowd, no 12th man that's so loud and so deafening. That one, it, as the kind of like the little ramp-up, uh, you know, undercard fight before Buccaneers in Washington on Saturday afternoon. I'm interested in watching uh, Rams and Seahawks, and I, I'm very intrigued by the uh, the rematch of Ravens and Titans yes. Sunday, the early game, where it's a reversal. It was in Baltimore a year ago with Tennessee pulling the upset. Now can Lamar Jackson and the Ravens return the favor against what I think is a vulnerable Tennessee defense yep. right now? So yep. those two games I'll throw out there that I'm I'm interested in all of them. But if you if you pin me down besides the Buccaneers for one Saturday, one Sunday, Rams, Seahawks, and then uh, Ravens at Titans on Sunday. And remember, you got the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, the whole Stefanski COVID issue. Stefanski wow. won't be coaching the head coach. You know, they got the special teams uh, coordinator is going to be the acting head coach. Let me ask you this. If the Buccaneers, if Tom Brady is, is tested positive, do they play on Saturday or do they play on Sunday to give the advantage like they, like New Orleans is getting with Kamara coming off COVID technically right at the 10-day so mark? your hypothetical is if last week when, when Devin White allegedly tested positive for COVID-19 and apparently cannot play in this game Saturday, again, that's not confirmed, but it looks like that is the case uh, because he hasn't come off the COVID list this week. So you're saying that if Brady had been the one to test positive last Thursday, like Alvin Kamara uh, and like Devin White, would the NFL have said it's better to have a playoff weekend with Tom Brady playing as opposed to a playoff weekend without Tom Brady playing? Let's put the Bucks on Sunday where if he tests negative for the days leading up to it, he can play on Sunday. Yes, that's what I'm I asking I think you. we all know the answer to that question. <laughs> yes, underlined exclamation point, the Bucks yep. would have been playing on Sunday under your hypothetical Dr. Powers. All right, I'm going to give you one more hypothetical. Will the NFL move a game? Let's say somebody this week tests positive, uh, A-Rod and Mahomes, somebody like that. Will they bump back the entire schedule for the divisional round? To me, I think they're not going to do that until the championship game. 
I think right. if it was an AFC or NFC championship game and one of those big quarterbacks, I think it's just quarterbacks. They'll never admit this. They'll never say this publicly. But if Mike Evans tests positive or Antonio Brown or Tyreek Hill, they're going to make those teams play without them. But if Brady, Mahomes, Rodgers test positive, I think they would potentially move a game back because they do have that week of wiggle room in the schedule. So there's two schools of thought on that. They have already made teams. Cam Newton uh, tested positive. New England had to play at Kansas City without him. Lamar Jackson tested positive. Baltimore had to play at Pittsburgh without him. So they've got precedent that's there, but this is the playoffs. I, I still, we go back to what we were talking about with Ohio State and Alabama. Everybody understood this yeah. was a very real problem and a very real possibility. And if you're not doing everything to protect yourself or bubble yourselves, they're leaving it up to the different teams. There's right. been a lot of speculation that the NFL would, would try to bubble the remaining teams on championship weekend, those four teams, to try to protect them. We haven't seen that as of yet. There's no edict yet from the NFL that that's, that that's going to happen. You raise a very interesting hypothetical. But I believe right now, as we're sitting here the first week in January, they will make teams play with who they have. And if that means no Mahomes, no Aaron Rodgers, they will cite the previous precedent and say you're playing with who you have. I got gotcha. you. Okay. I think they would move a game for the for the champion. Just the, not the divisional tuned. round. I don't think they would do one next week for the divisional round. I, hear I think you. for the championship game, they would figure out a way to bump the game. Because back. under the same premise, do you want to play the biggest non-Super Bowl game or games without Mahomes or Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, let's say, or or one, of the, one of the biggest names? But certainly Mahomes, Rodgers, and Brady are the biggest names out of all of that group. I agree with where you're coming from on that. So I guess we'll, we'll have a bet on some wings at, uh, at Beeple hey. Brady's down the road, free plug for them on whether or not the NFL actually follows through and does that. Let's see. All right. So the three dog Thursday podcast yes, has been sir. on fire with the underdog picks. Give me an underdog <laughs> pick for this weekend. We are guaranteed to go down in flames because uh, of all the ones we're picking. Well, you can tell from my voice, we're not taking the Washington football team. Although I've got a couple of guests that are on there uh, that are that are really a bully on uh, the guys from DC and the eight and a half or nine points right now. I like the Rams in that scenario with golf without golf at Seattle, half. getting three, three and, and a half. half Saturday afternoon. I like that one, and I also like. Uh, I, I I think I probably uh, am going to go. Um, well, the Ravens are actually favored against Tennessee, which they is are. very interesting. Stay away. I like the Ravens in revenge in that game on Sunday. I don't I don't like the Bears in the spot with the Saints. I think the Saints roll them. And I think Pittsburgh's going to be ready for Cleveland after they rested their guys. So the only really underdog that I'm going to take, uh, and we left out Buffalo and Indy in our conversation, but I think Buffalo wins that game at home. The only underdog I really like are, are the Rams in the Saturday game uh, with Seattle. You have, do you have a doggy? I do. you like? I am a contrarian with you. I don't know why I think this. I just have a funny feeling the Chicago Bears are going to give the New Orleans Saints all they want Sunday afternoon. I think that defense has one big game in them. Again, I think Trubisky's playing better the last month or so. Again, are they going to are they going to win a shootout? No, but I got a feeling this is going to be a 23 to 20 kind of game. I and it would again, Kamara hasn't played in 2 weeks. Breeze's arm is still a little we don't know what he's got left. Mike Thomas is still it. He's going to play, but you know, who knows how healthy he's going to be. Give me the Chicago Bears in the nine and a half Sunday. And again, a Superdome with no fans. 
that's right. to me that's a, that's a factor for me that is a huge factor not being uh, not being concerned about not being able to communicate can't hear can't change the play have to call time out none of that none of that's going to matter um and you're not necessarily saying upset i heard it in your prediction you're just saying keep it close and that's what 10 or 11 that the bears are it's getting a big number it's a, it big, a number. big number and that's and that's a lot of belief that washington can hang around with the big eight and a half or nine number with the buccaneers uh, at home no less uh, you want me to go on a limb i'll take the bears outright I just outright. don't believe that Trubisky doesn't croak them with a bad pick or two. This is what got, he has done. I get it. He's got it in him. No I, doubt I can, about it. I can see them hanging in with the Saints Sunday. Watch the Saints win by 50 now that we're saying right. this. I, yeah. I can see them hanging in, but I can't see him staying away from the killer pick or the bad pass uh, to win the game. So I we'll got see. you. We'll I find got, out. And again, New Orleans has had all kind of playoff horrors in the last three or four years. Yes, so they have. Do you do you end Drew Brees' career this way, or does he have the fairy tale ending? I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl personally. So give me the Bears outright and the nine and a half Sunday afternoon in New Orleans to help the Buccaneer cause in round two. <laughs> Well, because, because, yes, that would guarantee the Chicago-Green Bay rematch because right. they are the seventh um, seed, so that would guarantee them going to Green Bay. We'll see. It, hey, this is why we line it up, and as you mentioned, the NFL had already by design added another playoff team and another playoff game in each conference for this weekend, so they had already pre-planned to have six playoff games from here on out on the opening weekend on the new playoff schedule moving forward. We get six of them this weekend. It should be a lot of fun. All right, last thing, we'll get you out of here. Black Monday, all the, co the coaching changes that have happened around right. the league. Give me the job that you think, the one or two jobs that you think are the most enticing for a new candidate. You got Atlanta, you got Detroit, you got the Chargers, you know, Houston. Uh, hey, there are, there are two or three of them that are ultra attractive, including the Chargers with Justin Herbert and the way that he has looked. Uh, and you're out in Los Angeles in the number two market. Houston with Deshaun Watson. Uh, again, uh, that's a ready-made situation for the right coach to come in. And, and as much as Urban Meyer's name's getting kicked around, I don't think it'll be him in Jacksonville. But for any of these coordinators or whomever it is to step in and work with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, right. and we know this living in Florida, that is not an aggressive media market in the least. That, that is a situation where you can walk in. They, they were bad with Doug Marone his entire tenure. They had one year where they won. Uh, but they were bad his entire tenure, and before that, coach after coach, right. after Tom Coughlin, they were bad, and the, and the media is just accustomed to that, and the fan base is accustomed to that. So what I'm saying is you take that job with Trevor Lawrence, now you have a built-in couple of years to try to get it right. They, they are so far away talent-wise. There's no expectation in Jacksonville to win. That's a very attractive job, and they've got a lot of a cap room, especially if you know that Lawrence is your quarterback. Yep. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that. And one more, I have much love for Raheem Morris. Did his radio shows here in Tampa Bay when he was the head coach for three years in 09, 10, and 11. I think it's very telling that the Atlanta Falcons did not go ahead and fire he and the rest of the staff off the season finale with the Buccaneers. The fact that now we're to Thursday and Raheem is still there, is part of the process, he's interviewed for the job. I think it says to me, Jason, he may be the defensive coordinator if they hire a new coach, they may be saying to the new coach, we want this guy to still yeah. be part of the defense. Yep. Otherwise, why don't you go ahead and make the move? And right. it also says Raheem may end up being the guy. Otherwise, right. why haven't you made the move 
to tell everybody he's not going to be the guy, Raheem Morris, in Atlanta. So let's see if, if Raheem ends up as the uh, as the Atlanta coach. And say what you want. He did a really good job. He played the Buccaneers yes. competitively twice, took Kansas City to the limit, won a couple of games early on that he wasn't supposed to win. So he's done a really good job. And that's the exact opposite of how his Buccaneers stint ended, where at the end of 2011, the team collapsed, were horrible, blown out over and over again at the end. He's learned from that. He's matured. The yep. players believe in him. If that's worth something to Arthur Blank, Again, I don't know that he'll keep Raheem as the head coach, but Raheem might stay on as the defensive coordinator for the job that he did. And I'm big, have been my whole life. Actions speak louder than words, or inaction speaks louder than words. The fact that the Falcons four days later haven't done anything tells me they believe a lot in Raheem Morris. Let's see. Great, great thought there. Well, TJ, really appreciate the time. Great job. Follow TJ on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Again, he's doing... He does post-game, pre-game for the Buccaneer Radio Network. He's a sideline guy. Where can the fans catch the Buccaneer game live-streamed if they're not in the Tampa Okay, so there's there's several different uh, methods and ways. Obviously, over the air in Florida on the Buccaneer Radio Network, 98 Rock is our flagship station. Also, the Buccaneers mobile app will stream the game. Again, if you're out of the market, I believe on Buccaneers.com, you can go to the Listen Live feature through the website, not the app, but through the website uh, and listen. Uh, and again, Sirius XM has the NFL radio channel where it has Gene and Dave calling the game and me uh, adding in wherever I can add in and hosting the postgame show, et cetera. I'm just elated. Thank you for the plug that we're talking pregame Absolutely. and a game and postgame Buccaneer playoff game for Saturday night for the first time since 2007. We can say that we're back. We're back. Yeah. And let's see if we're back for a while in January with the Bucks in the playoffs. Absolutely. Great job, TJ. Thanks for the time. Have a great weekend covering the game, and we will catch you. Where, tell us, we Twitter handle, the Buck, Buck Sideline Guy. At, at Buck Sideline Guy on Twitter, and I have much love for you. Keep growing the Powers on Sports podcast. Fans, subscribe to this thing. Uh, Jason has done a great job of bringing quality content and guests. Keep it up, brother. Let's keep it up all through the the football postseason and everything that's going on. Appreciate you, TJ. And we'll see you next time on the Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate everybody taking a listen. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll catch you next time on the Powers on Sports podcast.